Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. Hello, everybody, and welcome to some bonus content for our special disability and tech series. Today, we are joined by Helen Houston, who is a um, AAC user. So it's going to be a little bit different to our normal interview styles, and we'll explain a little bit about that as this bonus content goes through. I'm here with Alice. Hi, Alice. Hi Lucy, um, looking forward to recording this episode. It's yes. been something we had planned in very um, early on in the uh, planning for the tech series um, and Helen was kind enough to agree to come on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, so um, as Lucy said, Helen is an AAC user. If you don't know what that means, Helen is going to explain it to us all in a little bit. Just to prepare listeners for what the format's going to look like for our episode today. Uh, we prepared some questions with Helen. She's going to um, explain to us what it's like for her as an AAC user. And then at the end of the episode, to help you all really get a feel for what it's like when Helen interacts with people in sort of real time, we've got another question for you that we'll uh, be asking Helen and, and having a little bit of a chat about. Because obviously, in in real life, Helen doesn't get to prepare her answers for uh, every everybody's uh, questions and interactions with her. So, without further ado, I think it's time to hand things over to Helen. If you'd like to introduce yourself, Helen. Good afternoon, Alice and Lucy. I am Helen Hewson, and it's really nice to join you on your program today. I have come on the show today to talk about AAC. AAC stands for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. This can be any form of communication people use when they have very little or no natural speech due to a physical disability, such as cerebral palsy, stroke, Parkinson's disease, stammers, autism, or indeed any other disability that affects a person's ability to speak and be understood by other people in mainstream society. My own disability is cerebral palsy and this was caused by a lack of oxygen during my birth. Thank you, Helen. It's so nice of you to join us. Thank you for agreeing to be on our programme. Um, we'd like to start off by asking you, Helen, what does being an AAC user mean to you? I think what AAC means to me as an individual is a way that I can communicate and be understood by anyone and everyone. Over the years, as my AAC has developed and improved, I have felt able to take a more active role in conversations, and indeed in wider society. Let me explain what I mean by that. It has enabled me to be part of groups and committees that are working to improve the lives of disabled people, and campaigning for changes within our society, 
It can make my life harder at times when I can't communicate quickly and effectively enough. For example, sometimes when I'm trying to construct a message, and I can't attract people's attention quickly enough, and they will sometimes just ignore and walk away from me. At other times people will really talk down to me and treat me like a child. I think that this is the most frustrating and upsetting part of my disability of being an AAC user, the fact that so many people out there still think that a lack of normal speech means a lack of intelligence, and that they think that I don't understand what they are saying to me. Only last year I had an experience at a hospital appointment where a nurse was being really patronizing and talking to me like a child, so I typed into my communication aid that I could hear and understand her. However, her response to this statement was, Yes, I know clever girl. I can usually get through these situations and laugh about it later with my husband Toby. Of course, there are other times when it really gets to me and I feel really upset, angry, and frustrated with the whole situation. I have my communication aids app in front of me on my wheelchair with a keyboard, so why do people <coughs> still sometimes presume that I can't understand them and that I'm less intelligent? Can you tell us about your communication aids before you started using AAC as we know it? How frustrating were these and were there benefits to using simpler systems? Before I got my first electronic speech synthesizer at age 14, I mostly had to rely on my own natural speech for most of my communication. This meant that if people couldn't understand me, the things that I wanted to say largely went unsaid. I tried to use simple word and alphabet boards, and yes these worked quite well in the supportive environment of my special school, however, throughout all my experiences of residential care and living independently, my lack of understandable verbal communication has been and still is a major factor in my care needs, yes, AAC is brilliant in most situations, however you can't use big high-tech equipment to communicate your needs, whilst sat in a wet shower with a stranger caring for me. At times this can be very difficult and frustrating not being able to explain my very basic needs to people. Sometimes I don't think there is any easy answer to this problem because, yes, I can use a simple word and alphabet board. However, people need to be able to follow and read what I'm pointing to on it, and this can be very slow and confusing to follow, however, there are times when using a simpler non-electronic system can be useful, and indeed vital. For example, as we all know technology can sometimes break down and fail, and I still must be able to tell people what I need and want. This can be incredibly frustrating and upsetting at times, especially when I'm with people who don't know me very well, or strangers, when most new people listen to my natural speech. They just think I'm making sounds and have no, or very little intelligence or conversation. I think that our society is slowly getting better and becoming more aware and accepting of different disabilities. But I think there is still quite a long way to go before people with significant speech impediments are understood and accepted into mainstream society. Brilliant, Helen. Thank you for that. Um, how do you think it has shaped your identity and the things you enjoy in your life being an AAC user? 
I think that it has taught me to be quite a strong and resilient person because I have always had to prove my awareness and intelligence to the people around me. I think that it has also made me a very determined person because of course I have always wanted to show people what I'm capable of. I think it has made me a very empathic person when I meet other people and disabled children who are going through a similar journey themselves and need support and encouragement to keep going and improve their communication skills. Sometimes I share my story and experiences with them and their parents. And I know that this can give them encouragement and hope for the future. I think it has made me want to try and help to educate people like speech therapy students who are eventually going to be working with the next generation of people in my situation, so that they can hopefully gain a better understanding of the clients that they will be working with in the future. I really enjoy doing this and trying to make a difference in the world to how severely physically disabled people are seen and treated by the rest of society. It really sounds like you're working to make a real difference, Helen. Technology has come a long way since you first started using alternative communication methods. Can you tell us a bit about some of the methods that you used to communicate as a child and an adolescent? There have been many amazing developments and advances in technology during my lifetime, from the very early wooden symbol boards right up to the very latest technology that I haven't used for my communication today. As a very young child I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and this meant that my speech and communication were very slow to develop, although my parents always believed that my intelligence was not affected because of the way I responded to them talking to me. I slowly learned to answer simple yes and no questions by nodding and shaking my head. This again helped prove my intelligence to the people around me. I slowly learned to indicate what I wanted. I would point to my mouth when I wanted a drink and other simple things. When I was age of three, I started to attend my first special school. They had a few children who used a system called Bliss Symbols on a board that I could point to. My first Bliss board was very simple with about 10 words on it. Mummy, Daddy, Food, Drink and so on. The early 80s were the very beginning of communication technology, and the age of computers, and I was lucky that my teachers and family realized what this technology could do to open up my world and communication. At age 7 I had my first adapted typewriter called a possum typewriter, I used this with a touchpad and scanning system, this system was very slow and time-consuming compared with the technology of today and would often break down. As time went on the old BBC computer started coming into schools, and I started playing games on it, however, I still hadn't developed enough hand control to access an actual keyboard and switch systems made everything much slower to access. One day my parents found an expanded keyboard with much bigger keys. This was fantastic and made computer access much quicker for me. This system got me through school and all my GCSE exams. As a teenager I sometimes felt very isolated in social situations because my speech was very difficult to understand for people who didn't know me very well. My lack of normal understandable speech would often make people presume that my disability affected my intelligence. As a teenager this began to affect my confidence in group situations. 
My parents and speech therapist felt that some sort of portable communication aid with technology would be very beneficial for me. The assessment process for this was very slow, and there wasn't that much augmentative communication technology around at the time. It took two years to identify and obtain an appropriate communication aid for me. The model we identified was called a touch talker and was manufactured by a company called Liberator who are now a very big company and manufacture several different communication aids for all abilities and ages. I was very excited when I got this first communication aid. It meant that for the first time ever, I could be understood by anyone and everyone. This meant that at school they could slowly start teaching me to go out shopping alone and communicate with the outside world. I also learned to travel alone by train home to my parents using my aid. My touch talker was a system of symbols which needed a huge amount of learning and teaching for it to be used to its full potential with pre-programmed words and phrases. Maybe. My time was limited at school because of my GCSE work and a lack of time for speech therapy. This meant that I spelt most things out on it, which made it quite slow to use. When I went to Harrywood College at age 17, they introduced me to a new computer which worked on a system of word prediction. I found this very quick and easy to use. I often wished that I could have a portable system that was as easy to use with a system of prediction. It took several years for a portable version of this predictive system to become available. In 1996 I heard about a company called Cambridge Adaptive who had produced a portable system with word prediction. However, it was yet another long hard fight of nearly a year to finally obtain funding for my chameleon to aid in February 2000. Ten years ago, my communication aid started to fail and break down at regular intervals, and in July 2013 I was told that my device was beyond repair and would need replacing. I was given a temporary device by Birmingham at which had the battery life of an hour, and I wasn't given much guidance on what to do next. In September I attended the Communication Matters Conference at Leeds University, and identified an aid called the Allura which is manufactured by the company Texas. We quickly arranged for me to have the device on loan for a trial period. This went very well, and I became certain that this was the right aid for me. The local CCG eventually agreed to fund my Allura, supplied through Act. Towards the end of March 2014, the Allura has also helped me join the 21st century, as it now has the ability to text to a mobile phone. This means that contacting my friends is much easier now, and I can enjoy chatting to my friends easily and more often. When I moved to West Sussex from Birmingham in January 2019 to live with my fiancé, we both hoped that my communication and ongoing AAC needs would be met through our nearest hub. Over the next few months, it became clear that this would not be possible because I didn't meet the criteria because I can use direct access to a keyboard with a key guard, albeit very slowly with frequent typing errors due to my lack of hand control. After a fight the local CCG agreed to fund a replacement, Elora. This meant that I needed to obtain and fight for funding every time that my aid needed any repairs or maintenance, 
This situation continued for the next two years until August 2022, when I started experiencing some pain in my arm and hand which made my typing more difficult and even slower, the letters on my Allura keyboard were all becoming very faded, and the battery was only lasting half the day, we arranged another meeting with my local speech therapy team to see if they could help me at all, they agreed to come and meet us and discuss my case again, at this meeting it was agreed that my needs were changing, and it was worth getting my local hub to come back and reassess me for their criteria. We explained my situation was changing and that my hand control was deteriorating, they eventually agreed to accept me into their hub service. We arranged a trial with Grid 3 from Smartbox last November, which went very well, and I quickly became certain that this was the right aid for me. My local hub then agreed to supply, fund, and maintain my smart box and ongoing communication needs. I was so grateful, happy, and relieved when this decision was reached, and my communication situation was finally resolved and sorted. In early December we were invited to my local hub to pick up and collect my very own smart box and have it mounted and fitted properly and securely to both of my electric and manual wheelchairs, they had also pre-programmed all the phrases that I wanted under all the different headings such as icebreakers, responses, greetings and goodbyes. They gave me some initial training on how to use my smart box as a communication aid. This was a huge relief for me after the many months of fighting yet again. It's amazing, Helen, to, for you to document the, um, the history of the technology there. Thank you so much for doing that and it definitely sounds like you've got a system that works for you, so that's great. How do you think using alternative communication methods has impacted your personal and social life? I think that my communication difficulties have definitely had an impact on my social life and how easily I can communicate and connect with people when I meet them. Quite often in social situations I have been and can be left out of conversations. I think this is largely because the speed of my conversation is much slower than everyone else, and I often find that the conversation will move on around me before I have finished what I wanted to say on the last subject, as I've said throughout the interview, I feel that people will often make assumptions about my intelligence because of my lack of normal understandable speech. I always feel that I must try and prove myself and my intelligence to everyone that I meet outside of the disability community. Sometimes this fight can feel tough and almost endless, however, I am very passionate about this fight and will never give up because it is very important to me, and the many friends that I have made, who are living in the same situation. I met my husband Toby through using AAC as we were both volunteering at a One Voice Weekend as role models back in July 2017, this was when Toby and I met properly for the first time, we had sort of seen each other before at a big communication conference, but never really talked or met each other properly until that weekend, on the first night of the weekend, I made a speech to welcome everyone to the event, after my speech Toby immediately came over and congratulated me and said how good my speech was, this made me feel really good. We sort of chatted all weekend and on Saturday night we had a dance at the disco and started holding hands, this felt very special to me. 
and somehow different from other boyfriends that I had had. I discovered that Toby lived in West Sussex, which was a long way from Birmingham. However, we exchanged phone numbers on our communication aids, and we started texting each other every day and often several times a day. We also started talking on our computers through something called Skype, and this is like a live video call where we could talk and see each other live through the computer. We also started having some days out at Oxford, which is a place half away between Birmingham and West Sussex. We did this as often as we could and it always got on really well. We always had lots to talk about and the same sense of humor. We discovered that we both had a sense of adventure and liked to be busy doing stuff and leading an active lifestyle, such as our various charity work with One Voice and Toby's charity Just Different, which did lots of work with school children teaching them and helping them to understand more about disability and difference. This meant that we had lots in common and always lots to talk about. We have now been happily married for just over four years. That's such a nice story, Helen. I think sometimes when you just, you meet a person and you just know, don't you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, if you could tell people one thing about using a communication device, what would it be? I think the most important message that I would want to get across to people about using a communication aid would be to always give people the time to communicate with you. Never make negative assumptions about a person's intelligence, because of their lack of normal understandable speech. It just means that talking to them may be a little slower and need a little more time and patience. Absolutely. I um I went to school with a lot of people who used AAC devices and I completely agree with you there, Helen. Um, completely, totally. Uh, what would you say um, is the biggest challenge to AAC users? I would say that AAC users face many challenges in their lives, from being assessed and getting the right support and funding, right through to getting the right AAC devices and having adequate training in how to use their device to its full potential. I think that navigating the assessment and funding system is quite a big challenge for AAC users and their families and supporters to deal with and fight through as this can be extremely difficult and frustrating at times. Of course, the technology will always have some limitations, such as battery life because most people have the ability to speak and use their voices 24 hours a day. The average battery life of a high-powered communication aid is still only 7 or 8 hours before they need to charge up again, so in effect people can only communicate for half the day. However, I have an additional battery pack on my wheelchair that can change my smart box when I am out all day and need to be able to communicate effectively with everyone. My husband uses a system called iGaze which means that he controls his communication aid with his eyes through infrared, which he finds brilliant and very quick to use. However, this system has one major drawback, it does not work outside very well because of the sunlight. This means that Toby can't talk very much at all when we are outside. You talked there about the challenges, Helen. Can you tell us what are sort of your hopes for the future of AAC technology and the AAC user community? I think that AAC technology will always continue to improve and develop so that it will become much easier and faster to use. 
and eventually require less physical effort to be used by the most severely physically disabled people, this would mean that we could always respond and answer people in a timely and effective manner, so that people would never question our awareness or intelligence at all. Over the years through my work with One Voice I have met so many fantastic young people who are so determined to be heard and make a difference in the world. I talk to them about my life and some of the things that I have done and achieved in my life. I also share some of the different experiences I have had through working with different carers and personal assistants, good and bad. I think it is important to teach them to have goals and ambitions for the future, but I also encourage them to be realistic about what they will be able to do and achieve in their lives because I myself have learnt over the years that having people give me false hope can be just as damaging as having no hope at all. For example, I encourage them to think about independent living, and getting involved with the One Voice Role Model program, rather than telling them that it is possible and easy to find full-time work and employment with a significant level of physical disability and communication difficulties because it simply isn't a true picture of the world that we currently live in. I have also spent a lot of time talking to the parents of our young people who are often quite concerned about what the future might look like and hold for their disabled children. As quite often the first few years of having a severely disabled child can be quite worrying and daunting for parents to face up to and deal with. I think my biggest hope for the AAC community in the future is that we can keep on becoming more integrated and accepted into mainstream society. Thank you so much, Helen. Yeah, um, thank you, that, Helen. That was all really interesting. Gives a real kind of insight into what life is like for an AAC user. Um, as we said, we uh, had asked Helen to prepare some answers to those questions. Um, just to sort of help us get the information across as uh, quickly and smoothly as possible. However, Helen thought that it would be really insightful for our listeners to see what it's like for her um, when she's interacting with people and responding to people in real time. So, Lucy, uh, you had a question for Helen that you wanted to ask. Yes, I did, Helen. So, um I've seen many people that use AAC machines who have now they've now developed the technology where you can sort of develop an accent that goes onto the machine. And I wondered if that's anything that you have thought about. What would your accent sound like? Do you like the voice that you have or is there any changes you'd like to make? Yeah. Do you feel like the voice of your AAC machine represents you? Yeah. I think that I would Just like bye.
the voice. Two. Sound. More. Human. And. Less. Robotic. I think that I would just like my voice to sound more human and less robotic. I can understand that <laughs> completely. I think that sentence was quite reflective of how uh, robotic it can sound a little bit, doesn't it? It unfortunately doesn't seem to reflect the the same intonations and the highs <laughs> and lows. And speech. Yeah, it's a bit like when you read a text message and you can't really convey the meaning or thought and you think, mm -hmm. are, they, are they being funny with me? Um, it's that kind of level. There's no tone to it, is there? You don't think you'd have a really thick Birmingham accent then, Helen? Nose. <laughs> what? I would sound like who knows what i would sound like <laughs> it's one of life's great mysteries isn't it <laughs> and i think it's just quite indicative of um you know lucy and i are are used to spoken word mm. um and so it just reflects the the sort of the expectation that people have that that's something that's important to you but obviously what's important to you Helen is actually being listened to not what you sound like yeah mm -hmm. I think there's a message in there somewhere that people can take away mm. so thank you so much for joining us today Helen I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've had we have yeah this has been really interesting Helen thank you so much we really appreciate you giving us some of your time yes I have 
enjoyed. It and if this program has made one person stop and think Then I think and believe. that it is all worth while yes I have enjoyed it and if this program has made one person stop and think then I think and believe that it is all worthwhile wonderful Helen thank you so much thank you everybody for joining us um, for this piece of exclusive bonus content this week uh, if you enjoyed this please do let us know uh, if you'd like to see more content like this please also let us know you can find us on uh, all social medias at labeled pod we'd really love to hear from you uh, thank you very much again to helen for joining us and we will see you next time goodbye bye bye Thanks for listening to The Label Podcast. If you like the show, you can rate, review and subscribe and you can follow us on social media at Labeled Pod. This episode was edited by Adam Hall 
Our music was by Maisie Crunden, and we'd like to thank the rest of the team involved. <laughs>